0: Now you hear it.
1: When you're a child, you learn there are three dimensions height, width, and depth, like a shoebox. Then later you hear there's a fourth dimension time.
0: From Seattle, we're Drinking the Movies. I'm Taylor Baker. And I'm Michael Claussen. Oh, hey, Michael.
1: It's uh, summertime. We're re-screening another film, this one, Martin Sorsese's Cape Fear. But more importantly, it's summertime and we're re-screening a film, which means it's a psychosexual film. Just like last year with Gone Girl and Side Effects, the psychosexual is back, just like a history of violence.
0: It's not an intentional thing that we're going for, but it does seem to have cropped up multiple times in re-screenings, huh?
1: The sun comes out and we like to go to the shadows.
0: We are again drinking water and coffee as ailments continue on the show no beer today
1: no beer today i'm anguished it's a beautiful bright sunshiny day i look outside i want to go out there i want to get a nice really light beer and just sit there and have a conversation in the sunlight for more than a few hours and just relax but alas this is where we're at and we're drinking coffee and water
0: surely that just that means when we do drink again we'll just have to drink that much more right we'll make up for this lost time on the future episode we're gonna
1: be drinking the same volume of liquid but the liquid itself will have the viscosity of of gin and whiskey
0: could be for a michael Mann episode could be for a cassavetes episode it's gonna get sloppy
1: i think cassavetes might be more fitting
0: that might make a lot more sense
1: yeah um before we we do our first impression um we normally do a little bit of homework. We had the, the wonderful opportunity to do some sort of homework. homework. Uh, what did you get to, title-wise?
0: I only got to Raging Bull, which I had never seen before. That was a big blind spot. And then one of the bonus features uh, that was on the Cape Fear disc, or that's also online, just a making of a uh, little featurette on the making of Cape Fear. How about you?
1: I did a lot, but I thought you did one more. I thought you did Sorsese's History of World Cinema. Oh, well,
0: you're right. I did that a couple weeks ago. Um, uh, it all
1: counts. Yeah,
0: that that's actually one I had been, like, chipping away at over a period of time, over, like, a good number of weeks. So yeah. I I did finally finish that, like, yeah, a couple weeks ago. Yep.
1: I, uh, I probably got around ten and a half in. Um, I'm halfway through New York, New York right now. Last night I I chose to go to bed and rewatch Cape Fear from the bedroom um, rather than finish New York, New York. I thought that second viewing of Cape Fear would be more useful. Um, Mm -hmm. I watched the original Cape Fear, 1962, and then I I watched a lot of the documentary um, films that Sorsese has made because I had a major blind spot there. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think Radical Take, I like Mm -hmm. him more as documentarian than filmmaker.
0: That is a very radical take, for sure.
1: It's uh, it's not something I ever thought. I love The Wolf of Wall Street. Um, I just rewatched The Aviator. Absolutely adore that film. I think that's maybe top three sources. He could be top number one. It just depends on the day. Mm. And a little bit more current research. Um, so I, I absolutely loved revisiting um, some of those titles and finding the documentaries. Uh, I tried The Color of Money. Did mm. not care for it. Did not care for it. Didn't hate it. Just kind of bland, very bland, like a piece mm-hmm. of white bread. Um, but we both saw Raging Bull and that mm-hmm. was a film that that is a simultaneously a classic and kind of indefinable. You briefly illustrated in in words on Letterboxd how it kind of defies all convention and ends up being mm. more a tale of, of man than anything else than a fighting film.
0: Oh, very much so. I mean, I think you're bound to find it on any lists of, like, best sports movies out there, best boxing movies out there, but it's really, like, about a guy who boxed more than it is about, like, a boxer, in a way. Yes,
1: and it ends up having one of the greatest transformations by an actor I've ever seen. I didn't know that going in. Um, And we briefly discussed the the ending scene in which um, De Niro is looking in the mirror reciting uh, Marlon Brando's monologue from *On the Waterfront* um, about I could have been a contender, and it's it's just this magnetic image that um, having having seen the film now, I understand why it's always referenced, and I, I feel mm. like one of the largest um, blind spots in my field of vision has has been removed.
0: Yeah, you mentioned *Color of Money*. It's weird. Like I feel like there are the um, widely popular scores, the Goodfellas, all the gangster movies, Wolf of Wall Street, The Departed. Um, yeah, then there are the underrated ones or more debated ones, like After Hours or Bringing Out the Dead. Color of Money one I feel like I never even hear about. Like that mm-hmm. just seems like like the the attention on that is just quiet, um, and it sounds like that's for
1: good r- reason? normal reasons. It's or, like, yeah, it, it's not bad. It's not good though. It's it's just fine. fine. <laughs> Cruise is very Chalamet very contemporary Mm. 2021 Chalamet and his performance um Newman is very interesting very committed but the narrative doesn't really matter it's it's kind it's an uninteresting almost raging bull type of a film where there's just a younger character as well where it's this man and he doesn't really know who he is anymore and he's running a racket and then he finds a great young contender and Mm. he, he tries to make him something and then he he gets too cocksure, and he doubts himself, and you know, there's this full arc, but the arc feels totally trite. You know, yeah, like it's yeah. it's just one of those things that's happening. It it's, it happens that this is happening on the screen, but you're not drawn into it at all.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's you ask people like what their favorite Scorsese is, you know, King of Comedy occasionally pops up there yeah. or After Hours, Color Money, you never hear never. about it. Yeah, yeah. I, Strange.
1: Bringing, bringing out the deads, probably still in my top five.
0: Yeah. That thing yeah. rains scene. Yep. Discussed on the show way back in the day.
1: Um, but, anyways, before we, we continue with Sourcezzi, let's go take a look at the next rescreening title we're going to cover, which is Michael Mann's Thief. You want to put down contract scores all over the country? Working directly from me? I am self employed. Geisty Lice. Just diamonds of cash. Fine. I'll make you a millionaire in four months.
0: I wear $150 slacks! I wear silk shirts! I wear $800 suits! I wear a gold watch! I wear a perfect, D, flawless, three-carat ring! I'm a thief! Do you think that I have been waiting for you to come along? You're
1: gonna marry her and have some kids? Yes.
0: Hey, I'm talking to you. Hey.
1: I mean, what? What is going on in your life
0: that is so terrific? I'm just, I'm just asking you to be with me.
1: All right, Michael, that was the trailer for Michael Mann's Thief
0: starring James Caan. What do you think? I'm stoked. This is a Michael Mann movie I have not seen before. We're at a point with three screenings where we're kind of bouncing back and forth between movies we've maybe seen before, maybe not. This Mm -hmm. is a new one for me. Is this a new one for you too?
1: This is new for me as well.
0: Perfect. 1981. Um I kind of have like no opinion about James Khan in general. I'll be kind of curious to see how I react to him. like he's an actor who when I think of him, the first thing that comes to mind is elf, which I don't know if that really counts, although I think he's funny there. What? So my opinion about him is yet to be formed um but I'm stoked I you know I think it wasn't I feel like it wasn't that long ago that this got restored and maybe got its criterion released. so I feel like um there's
1: a 4k restoration wasn't it?
0: I think so. I think it's just I, I, I am excited to see how this film looks. the The nighttime s- cinematography, lots of blue light, and you know your your wet streets, just kind of this um, classically good neo noir imagery that it's always right out my alley. I'll eat that stuff right up. Um, what are your thoughts?
1: Um, yeah, I mean to echo everything you said about the nighttime cinematography. It looks a lot like Miami Vice looked. He um, likes his
0: blue images and yeah,
1: really dark nights. Um, somehow, perfectly lit faces, and then kind of everything from the neck down just disappears mm-hmm. in, into the night. Um, so it's kind of you know these spirits that are you know slinging lead and have steel consequences. You know, it's mm-hmm. very fun in that way. Um, as far as Khan, I I think about him in conjunction with the Godfather. Normally, mm-hmm. um, he also had these starring role in Misery, which is probably the thing that I oh, right him most in. in is getting wounded, getting his legs broken.
0: Yeah, yeah. Good call. <clears throat> forgot his about ankle that. ankles shattered
1: or whatever that that whole scene was. Yeah, um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, like I said, right when it ended, personally to you, is you know, the sequel to Rufifi. This is a, a great-looking um, you know, lead slinging type of a, a heist movie, it looks like. He's breaking into more than one vault or they're cross-cutting with a lot of the same footage of the same vault. Um, You know, he's wearing these $900 suits. He's trying to get these diamonds. I'm, I'm all in on Michael Mann. Um, Just put it in my veins.
0: Any Michael Mann movies that are high on your list to see in conjunction with this one?
1: I have a huge amount of blind spots. And so like Sorcesi, I think I'm probably going to be grinding through as many as I can. I I'm pretty down the rabbit hole with Sorsese right now, so I can't even really think of the Michael Manns that I need to see. But mm-hmm. the only one that I feel like I've I'm caught up with completely is Miami Vice from when we covered it. Mm-hmm. Um because I, I, I watched the uh unrated director's cut version. So like I feel like I'm done mm. with that. Um Good I to feel go there. like mm-hmm. I'm maybe caught up on Black Hat for now. Um so I, I think everything besides those two I should probably brush up on.
0: Blackouts, one that I would need to to catch up with for sure. That'll be on my to do list.
1: Good, and then Tokyo Vice is that the name of the onscreen oh, uh, television show that's later this year?
0: I always get whatever the name is. I get it mixed up with the Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drifter. Yeah, yeah, that that movie title. But yeah, I think supposedly that is this year on HBO Max. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. So there's there's more Michael Mann new releases to come.
0: Well timed. Yep.
1: All right, back to Cape Fear. I was his lawyer. But oh, it's shot him somehow, right?
0: And what was he in prison for? No, really. What what did you do? If you've been following him? Well, it's a small town every way you turn, I guess we're gonna run into each other. <laughs> Dad, you should have just punched him out. Yeah, you know how to fight dirty. You do that for a living. This guy, uh, he threatened
1: you? He's clever. So that the law can't touch him. Uh, you have a daughter around 16. Sixteen? What?
0: Be hearing from the Ethics Committee. All right. This is 1991 movie. It's a remake of the 1960s film of the 62. same name. 1962. Mm-hmm. Uh, starring Robert De Niro, Jessica Lange, Juliette Lewis, um, as well as some stars from the original film version in supporting roles. Gregory Peck, uh, Robert Mitchum, and... Mm-hmm. Um, we lay out the plot before we kind of dive in? Yeah. Want me to go for it? Um, go for it. So we have um, Nick Nolte playing um, Sam Bowden. He is a public defense attorney who, along uh, with his family, family, finds himself terrorized by, by a former client, played by Robert De Niro, um, who served 14-some years in prison Um when Sam could have, at the very least, reduced his sentence had he not buried some evidence regarding the victim in Robert De Niro's character's case. His name is Max Cady. Um, we are in psychological thriller territory, genre-wise. Um, I'd say psychosexual. Psychosexual. The there you go, with, like, kind of an action movie thrown in there. Sometimes it feels like outright horror, almost. Yeah. Um, where are you at with this overall?
1: Um well, like most remakes, it fails to outdo its predecessor. Mm. Say that off the bat. It's mid tier Corsese for me. It's not his worst, but it's it's not his best. Um and on the second watch, I I really felt like this would this didn't really suit him. Um mm. direction wise. I just on retrospect, like he he does what a lot of these these ship Um, films do kind of in between this 1980 uh, and like early 2000s period where they they throw them in a, in a really dark dunk tank and they throw these waves at the boat and Mm. people get thrown off. And you know, it, it probably doesn't look very believable. So Sorsese starts overly leaning on these jump cuts that are, they get a little bit grating. Um, The first time you're surprised and like it's effective. Um, but that, that second time around, I, I just kept thinking like, you know, Spielberg would have been so much better for this and like, oh, there's another open plot thread. Oh, there's another Mm. open plot thread. There's dialogue that infers another open plot thread because we watched the making of Cape Fear. So we Mm. know how many of those plot threads got kind of erased or taken back, um, Mm. or avoided because it was originally written for Spielberg and then they were writing it like the day of like improvising as they shot the film. Mm. And I don't think says he works best as an imp- improviser. I don't think he's a Roger Corman type of director where you give him a suit for an insect and he'll figure it out on the spot and shoot mm. the whole film in seven days and edit it to be fun. Um, that's just not his thing. So yep. um, I'm, I mixed positive on it three and a half, probably a heart. The heart isn't for the direction. The heart is for the heart of the performances, From Mm. De Niro and Nolte. I think De Niro is. Maybe. This is outrageous. Giving his best performance. He's going big. He's very committed. Um, The meticulousness of his character. I think that the film doesn't do justice. To the commitment that he had. Mm. Um, And I think Nolte. Plays an excellent straight man here. Just Mm. totally committed straight man. Really really. Without him as believable as he is, the whole thing falls apart. Yeah. Because Katie is big. Katie's played enormous.
0: He is very hammy. And I I do enjoy Robert De Niro in this quite a bit. I think that's a fun performance. Whether or not it's best, I'd have to stop and think about that. But just in that Christian Dale
1: sense of like rebuilding your body to like look a certain way, really committing, getting that draw, making everything Mm -hmm. kind of feel this particular patina of sadness and despair. But, you know, uh, macho insecurity, trying to constantly belittle the masculinity mm. of Nolte. Like, mm. there's just there's so much interesting there that's delivered yeah. through him.
0: Well, yeah, you mentioned Spielberg, and if you do just the Wikipedia research or watch, well, we watched that making of King Fear doc. Ray. Yeah, um, it talks about yeah Spielberg's um, initial attachment to the project and Scorsese's like reluctance at first to even get involved. You kind of I mm. think I'm with you in that maybe he should have trusted his gut and just not gone with this one. Um, to me, but remember
1: it- he owed um, God, whoever made it, I think it was Fox or Searchlight or something. He he owed whichever studio this was because he mm. made Kandan, and I think that he produced uh, Mishima and. Mm. I, I, I think that he just lost a bunch of money and so he needed to make like a profitable thing. And I think this was the f- I think in the interview, he said that like this was the first thing he made that made a profit or like this scale of profit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it was his like most successful at the box office to date. Um, yeah. He, he talks about doing the the one for me, one for them kind of thing. This is maybe yeah. one for them, but he's still very much trying but to play his touch he like six for him. <laughs> yeah, he's trying to put his touches on it, but um, I don't know. I found myself not necessarily thinking that it would have been better in Spielberg's hands. I think about Spielberg as being more sentimental. Um, to me, I kept thinking this felt more like a Brian De Palma movie with uh, how explicitly kind of Hitchcockian is it Hitchcockian it is in its thrills. Um, you know, I think about of any of the movie brats, or really just any director in general, De Palma is one who really kind of leans into luridness and and sleaze. And I think he would have really run with this material. I think some of the fireworks scenes and the kind of the hyper-reality of those touches, the vividness of it all, um, you know, reminds me of something like Blow Up almost. Um, it kind of crossed with, like, Dress to Kill just because of the, um, the sexual tension this movie has. I don't think about Spielberg as being... Um, as having a lot of sex in his movies. They're actually, sometimes they're kind of sexless. He's, I think he's maybe a little more afraid to wade into that kind of stuff.
1: Well, I'll say it would be a different picture. And I think Sorsese said that, you know, he made it different than Spielberg, would have, And they did all these rewrites. But the the plot that I see there, based on the dialogue, and how much of that plot is missing, I I just, I think that Spielberg picture, it, it would have the dunk tank scenes. You know, mm. like Spielberg just, Kind of would have staged this whole thing and presented it in a two and a half hour way that Mm. I think just does a little bit more than this two hour and four minute thing does. It it would Mm. have paid off a lot of the dialogue It would have included the sneaking around in the house that they take back. It would have included the the um, mature at the yeah, that maturing along the storyline of the logo design. It, mm. I think it just would have done a lot of stuff that begins to do, but doesn't fully deliver on. Mm. But you're right. I want to see the 4th of July parade directed by De Palma. I, mm. I want to see the firework sequence directed by De Palma. I, I don't disagree with that. I just, I saw a lot of the story beats for Spielberg still in the film, undelivered, which really detracted from the film experience because I, you can hear dialogue after knowing that that is specifically about these these cut storylines that are mm. on other footage that they shot.
0: Yeah, I mean, something about the movie about the the bonds of the family being sort of central to the story. That mm-hmm. seems kind of Spielbergian, you know. You think oh, about the original by the, way,
1: the original film totally up Spielberg's alley. It doesn't. Mm. It doesn't go this brutal.
0: Yeah, yeah. This this does get violent. I think all the suspense is largely about kind of anticipated violence. Um, I personally just don't find there to be all that much mystery around Max Cady as a villain in this movie. I do enjoy Robert De Niro's performance. I think it's very fun and, and kind of exaggerated in its southernness and its kind of swamp monster uh, feel. But um yeah, I, I, I think this movie often kind of loses its charge for me when um, we are with him. I find it fun, but I certainly wish I was a little more actively afraid for this family. Um, I'm curious if you, you know, find this to be a frightening movie or a thrilling movie or what sort of response do you, do you have to this character as he's terrorizing this family? Second
1: viewing, none. First viewing, scared twice.
0: Twice, like on two occasions? Mm-hmm. What were those?
1: The kitchen sequence, where oh, yeah, yeah. the maid is not the maid, mm-hmm. which I, I I think Heath Ledger looked at that and said, look what I can do in The Dark Knight. Mm. Um, and then the second time would be the houseboat. Mm. Uh, the near end of- the end. Yeah. The Well, the beginning where he chokes Nolte out.
0: Mm, yeah. When we were doing our first impressions, I was... Talking about how there was one scene that I remembered very vividly from childhood that scared me at the time, and that was the the kitchen scene. Yes, yeah. very obvious homage to Psycho, right? Um, where Max Keith's characters dressed up as uh, Bowden, the Bowden family maid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great scene. Um, yeah, on Graciela. On, Graciela, yes. Um, yeah, on this one, on this viewing, or, or really both viewings, this. For this occasion, the one that really shook me up actually was when we see Max Katie um, go after Sam Bowden's mistress, played by Ileana Douglas, and um, he sort of seduces her, um, brings her to a hotel, and um, and then ultimately attacks her and takes this bite out of her cheek. And the bite itself is very graphic. We see the mm-hmm. big piece come out of her cheek, but it's the line right after the, the bite where... You know, if you'll, if you'll allow me to curse on the show, which we occasionally do, he says, I got you now, bitch, right after he just took this bite out of her cheek. And mm-hmm. it's just the, the the intensity of the cruelty as he just spits out those words feels like the meanest, cruelest thing he does. Um, Maybe not the most, because there's some other disturbing stuff. But that one, you yeah, know, I felt mean, like that, that, that was just pure hatred. He handcuffs her
1: and dislocates her shoulder. It's just pure.
0: <laughs> pure hatred as he spits those lines. I mean, you know, you can have the image of the cheek startle you, but the hatred in those words, just, ugh, that gets Brutal. to me. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, so I actually have, have a massive problem with that. Mm. And I might be wrong. I might be totally wrong. But it seems to me like someone that's a victim of a violent crime in the first 24 hours that has a mark on them that will 100% identify the perpetrator of the crime it seems like the police would just like arrest Katie against his will compare his dental records to her cheek bite and that would be game over. Mm. I don't understand how that would not happen
0: Yeah I think her explanation is that she is fearful of being looked at as promiscuous right?
1: That's why she won't file
0: But you won't testify.
1: Yeah. But besides that, it seems like the police to, you know, um, look at this violent crime, which is kind of like a responsibility that they have. Like, there's a violent criminal. Mm. They have a lead on the violent criminal. Who cares if if this person filed a thing? There's a violent criminal. Normally, that's like how things go. Like, if you hear that there's a violent criminal and someone says there's a violent criminal, even if you don't have uh, someone who's willing to testify, you still kind of look into that, right?
0: Yeah. So it, yeah. it
1: seems like to me that like that's just like a giant gaping plot hole.
0: You would think it'd be a bigger hiccup at the least for for Max than it is. But yeah, to the extent that this is Hitchcockian in any way, it definitely is true to that saying that you know uh, movies are life with the boring stuff cut out. He would say, ah, just do away with that part, skip over it. Yeah,
1: yeah. I yeah, that's that's true. But I it really. Got no, a little tripped up on that one.
0: Yeah, I understand that. I understand that. Um, I am, yeah, I'm much less favorable on Nick Nolte, I think. Um, or maybe the character. I find him, I think he is in, He is meant to be pathetic to some degree. I, I personally find him a little grating throughout much of this movie. I wish he was actually a little bit more sympathetic. I think as we learn more about his past infidelities and his kind of unwillingness to be honest with his wife, Lee, um, about his latest mistress. I think we're getting fewer and fewer redeeming qualities in -hmm. this character that give me much reason to be afraid on his behalf. And you could say that maybe, you know, that's not really the point. You know, this is about his punishment in a way or retribution. But the additional problem there is that I don't know that the movie spends enough time Digging into how uniquely complex this dilemma was for him to begin with, right? If you want to sympathize with what he originally did, which was bury this evidence, I think you would maybe need to dig into the fact that he maybe wrestled with that to some extent. It really kind of just takes it for granted that Uh he buried the evidence and he moved right along. Um, There's no real heightening of the fact that Max Keady was maybe so much worse than any other client he had ever seen, and therefore he was with he was in this new dilemma he had never been in before, where he felt like he had some kind of moral obligation to um, try to put this guy behind bars. I don't think it does enough there for me to really see him as any kind of like morally redeemable person. He is—that's he, he, that's too, too extreme. He's, he is a human being, and we can regard him as such, but I just think he's, he's kind of too pathetic for me for, for too much of this movie.
1: What yeah. about you? I think that they flourished this this version of the screenplay in such a way as to be massively uncomplimentary without having any um, philosophical like underpinnings of, of a point. Like there's no there's no real depth of value there. Gregory Peck plays the, the straight character in the the original, and he does not have all of these unredeemable qualities. It it doesn't really explore as much as you'd like, but it really is a problem of a man who lives and dies by the law breaking the law because he thinks it's what's best for the street level of, of reality, right? Cause there's, there's the tower and then there's the street and he, he breaks the, the law of the tower mm-hmm. for the street. And, and it's a lot more interesting and his 15 year old daughter really does look 15 and she's mm-hmm. tiny. And you know, in that 62 version, the camera is constantly looking down at her and, and mm. up at Peck and up at Mitchum or, you know, kind of, kind of sideways up. So you're really getting a sense of, of size difference. And, um, and you know, these two men from opposite sides of the tracks that are both breaking the law in, in different ways for different, um, ideals. And here we don't, I, I just think that it was a poorly, um, action flourish that probably Sorsese and that, that writer were just like, you know, what's something we could do to kind of, you know, make it more complex, make it more 21st century, you know, how how yeah. we going to swing this thing. And it's, it's really, um, you know, hackneyed, it's, it's half-baked, it, it doesn't really deliver itself. You know, the, the mom is, you know, she's, she's no longer the housewife that she was in the 62. She's, mm. uh, she's a, a mom that works from home and, you know, everything's complex, but they're, they're immensely wealthy and they have this giant banister. And, yeah. You, you nice know, house. it's, it's mm-hmm. um I, I don't there's a lot that doesn't make sense there's a lot that's left um off the screen in the editing room as far as him sneaking around for the entire runtime inside their house him redoing her logo correctly <laughs> yeah. him poisoning the food of the dog that they feed the dog um all sorts of things that are missing that maybe would have informed the character more um uh, made him more sympathetic um the the girl that Mitchum kills in the original is, uh, I believe, a prostitute or just a girl that he picks up at a bar. Um, one of the two, I it was kind of unclear, um, mm. and th- that it plays a lot like this. Um, there's there's no bite. Um, he he beats her. He tells her this is just a taste. Um, mm. She refuses to testify because she's terrified of of that. She wants to get on a bus, get out of town immediately. I think that's a lot more interesting than this whole infidelity angle. Um mm-hmm. I, I do think that the performances selling it are fine. It's just on on the page, there's no nice way to say this. I think this was a bad written adaptation. I think the screenwriter did a bad job.
0: Yeah. Um you know, I, I enjoyed this insofar as it is a it is sort of a big budget B movie, and, and I think it is, it is very, very fun in that way. Yeah, it's when he, you know, you get the sense that he's trying to smuggle an A movie in there by creating this supposedly complex, yeah, situation or dilemma that. Was in that even when he describes, you know, having buried the evidence, he hardly seems to even really care that about having done it. He doesn't mm-hmm. seem that tortured about it at all. He's explaining um, it, and he's yeah, just
1: like, don't you understand? You know? Yeah,
0: yeah, um, yeah, so
1: and his I daughter think. would have been one at the time,
0: yeah, yeah, she's yeah, 15 at, in yeah. at, as we see her, um, yeah.
1: So, just like a, a turn of phrase that I've had going on in my head since I watched. It, and I've just been reflecting on it after that first time is like, I might be v- totally wrong. I might be off base, but I feel like this is the only source says he where what you see is exactly what you get. There, There's mm-hmm. nothing under there. There's no Irishman like incredible lament, like the meaning of the fact that the women talk so little and how that shows the absence of their lives in in these tortured men who committed these great sins there's there's no smuggled beauty about america and sacrifice like in the aviator there there's nothing here everything you see is exactly what you get
0: 100 mm-hmm.
1: percent. there's nothing hidden
0: yeah i i think the intent is 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 something about family and how when you know there are vulnerabilities in a family those can be exploited that can make the unit fragile and that's sort of katie's whole tactic you know one of the one of the kind of visual techniques i like is um these images that suddenly look like an x-ray or something like that it's kind of the negative negative look the black and white um and you know the idea that he's sort of scanning this family for for their cracks so that he can put pressure on those and and break those open Hmm. um you know this is I think meant to be about a family that's already vulnerable and he, he is capitalizing on those weaknesses. Um, I, I, I yeah, I think I needed the relationship between Nolte and Jessica Lang's character to be just plain, just plain more interesting to me for that to really mm-hmm. work for me to be a little bit more invested in this family unit and staying together at all. I think Juliette Lewis is awesome. I love, I love that performance, but I can't say that, um, the, the stakes are terribly high insofar as I'm just not that um, keen on watching this family stay together or not.
1: Yeah, and they're, they're honestly not sympathetic. I, I think that all of them, counter to your thoughts on Nolte, I think all of them are fine. I, I do think Lewis maybe does some of the most interesting work of her career here because of how complex that relationship ultimately is between her and Katie. Um, but the the negatives, which, which you talk about, which kind of opened the film and, and buttressed the film on the end mm-hmm. um, of Juliette Lewis's eyes with those negatives. I just think it's such a striking, fantastic image. There's a couple other images. There's one where he's talking to um, to Alana. Mm-hmm. And um, he's he's talking, you know, honestly to her about their relationship and, you know, when he's going to see her next and stuff. And then the, the camera starts to kind of drift up and. We see the reflection of Jessica laying directly behind mm-hmm. him, and it's it's composed in such a way with this spin and, and pan that um you you do a complete one eighty to see her actually looming behind him, but she was mm-hmm. in front of him looking at him, um and it's it's just this wonderfully composed shot. And sorsese has got a few of of these great shots. Um, mm-hmm. One particular good build moment is. After Katie's ridden underneath the vehicle the entire mm-hmm. way to Cape Fear, um, he he gets out and, and undoes his belt and gets up and has eye contact with someone, just speechless. And it's just this greasy and rundown, mm-hmm. and it's just this great moment of dread where it you know he scares this person into saying nothing, continuing <laughs> to look at him, and it's just like the essence of the character kind of captured silently with visuals
0: yeah yeah Um, i think he's wearing
1: camo as well i might be wrong
0: yeah yeah in the the making of documentary they talk about whether or not they thought anyone would buy the fact that mackie could hold on to the bottom of the car the underneath of the car as the family drives all the way from this Mm -hmm. little town they live to the to the beach town i didn't even bat an eye at it you just go with it
1: Oh, I was like, of, of course he did this. And then yeah, when he undid yeah. his belt, I was like, oh, so he wasn't even having to hold on the whole time. I was like, he can mm. hold on the whole time. He's Max Katie. The yeah. only thing that can kill him is a force of nature.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there is there is clearly some exaggeration throughout it, that I, much of which I think is, is pretty satisfying. You know, like even just the vividness of certain shots, like you get those... Exteriors, whether it's of the prison or the house with the sky, not even mm-hmm. just like like the fireworks, is extravagant, but there's also just like the sky rendered in this, like these digital, dig- really digital, vivid colors that give it like just all this kind of heightened um, sense. And that's one of the most interesting things about the movie. It's just kind of weird in that way. And to the extent that everything is heightened is just kind of striking. Um, uh, yeah. And, and his. Max Keating's like animal-like qualities are very much a part of that Um, the shot of um, him you know hanging from his like pull-up bar where he just looks like a bat there to me switch great shot super fun he just looks yeah like like an animal hanging from a branch there to me or something like that the shot at the end of him sinking into the water he looks like a like a gator or some kind of Mm -hmm. you know swamp monster there that's all pretty fun
1: And the absence of the confirmed kill. That's also nice. Um, I I did some whining about the editing. I will say there's one particular edit that just is genius. And it's it's when he's getting out of prison. They Mm. open up like an internal jail door for him. And then it's a jump cut directly to a fenced door opening wide, swinging out and Mm. him walking out. And it's just this smooth, clever at it. it it communicates 10 minutes of walking and going through clipboard checks and turning coughs or whatever you have to do to get out in just a split second and it's it's composed in such a way where i think the the camera is kind of down and you know you really feel like you're in the jail and then this is kind of an up to the right angle where like freedom is erupting out of this doorway and you know he he's going out of it um it's just it it was really it, it stuck with me and kind of leapt out right when it happened. I was like, "Oh, this is this is images. This is awesome."
0: Yeah, that that's like, I, do, do we start the movie with that with him in yeah, jail and we yeah we, we see we him leaving? Yeah, we start with Juliette
1: Lewis's eyes right, in right negative, right. and then we get to that. Yeah, he's yeah. he's doing um he's he's literally doing pull ups until they open his door.
0: That's exactly what I was about to say. Yeah, I love the idea that, like, you'd think on your last day in prison, you'd be just sitting on the bed, all kind of packed up, waiting to go. No, he's working on his body until the minute they open the door, mm-hmm. fully preparing for this this plan he has. Uh, yeah, it's a nice touch. He's still buttoning up his shirt as he walks out.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, uh, God, there's that great line, aren't you going to bring the books with you? I already read them all.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't need them anymore. Yeah, there are some good little one-liners that I think, like, multiple characters get. One of my favorites is um, Robert Mitchum, I think, who is talking to Nick Nolte and sort of, like, underhandedly suggesting he uses family as bait to Mm -hmm. lure Max Cady. And and he says, pardon me, all over the place, and that kind of southern accent. I'm I'm an
1: officer of the law. If if you heard that, then, you know, you misunderstand me. He's, he's so good. That's the other thing is Mitchum plays Katie in the original and mm. Bowden's played by Peck. There's a reversal here <laughs> mm. where Peck plays the criminal defense lawyer, Katie, and Mitchum's playing the police chief. It's just, it's an interesting, you know, mix. And it, I, I think it it delivers, if you've already seen the the previous one, especially within conjunction, quite effectively. I also, tell me if I'm reaching. I feel like I'm mm. reaching, but I'm also right. What you got Mitchum's tattoos from, what's it called? Night of the
0: Hunter. Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: Totally influenced De Niro's tattoos, right?
0: A lot of Night of the Hunter in this, right? for sure. Because
1: there's there's no reference to the homage, but it's like, it's so night and day. Yeah. It's like It just seems absolutely true that the scales of justice have everything to do with those fingers, love and hate.
0: Totally. I mean, j- those characters just seem to have a lot in common. Just the kind of, you know, sociopathic religiousness that they have in common. And
1: chasing innocent people down the river.
0: Yeah, and, um, you, you know, Robert Mitchum in the, in the Night of the Hunter definitely seems like just kind of evil incarnate to some mm-hmm. degree. Like this kind of, um, like, hellish figure. And, you know, Max Keating just seems to, like, pop up everywhere in this movie. It's like one scene, he's yeah, he's he's at the pier one minute, you know, having a little face-to-face with the PI that N- Nolte has happened. We cut and we're back at the house and he's pulling up to see Jessica Lang. It's like we just cut from one scene to another and he's in all of them regardless of how we got there. It's more of the boring stuff of life just cut out. He's just everywhere all the time which does, I think, kind of work with the idea that it's partly just his tirelessness that is so... Kind of um, anxiety-provoking.
1: He's everywhere all the time, and they can never find
0: him. Yeah, that's that the other too. Part of it. The fact Very that they can nice never point. find yeah. him when they
1: want to find him. Yeah. Um, we've avoided talking about Kersek, played by Joe Don Baker, who is the private eye that's hired. And the I, I will say that moment of the film plays exactly how he describes it in the documentary, mm. where Nolte all of a sudden finds this guy. He takes over. He's sure-handed. He's sure-voiced. He, he assures everybody of everything at one point nolte even tells us you know you wouldn't believe this guy he deals with, with these these uh particular types of people all the time mm-hmm. you know it, it's it's a done deal and then they're they're eating dinner and the phone rings and they they both kind of scream and jump oh, yeah. and then we get this jump cut to him you know picking up the phone great sound editing there um talking to him and he just you know he he hired him today and you know he just got you know, information from somebody about something, mm-hmm. and you just kind of you feel like the movie's taking this turn, and mm-hmm. that's exactly what Sorsese wanted it to feel like. And I, I do think that, that one touch is very masterful in the tone, and that carries through on rewatch. You still feel that lull.
0: Yeah, yeah, just the classically overconfident character. Um, that that's like the most predictable part of the movie, and it's maybe one of the more satisfying. Aspects because of that, you just know that guy is in for it from the second you meet him, and he seems to have it all under control. You're like, yeah, you are for sure going down. Mm -hmm. And he probably has kind of like the best, the best kill of the movie. I guess he's really the only person, other person that's killed, but like that is a like a a highlight for sure. Yeah, Mm -hmm.
1: that's. I mean, I think that's the only death that happens on screen.
0: Yeah, it's a movie where Confirmed
1: kill. There's no other confirmed kill on screen.
0: It's one of those movies where, like, I I. Think about it as a violent movie, but it's so much more just about the anticipation of it. You just mm-hmm. feel that violence looming. That like you stop and think about about it, and you realize, yeah, you're right. That's only the, the only person that dies. It's just a feeling that permeates throughout it.
1: It's very much a Dragon Ball Z episode.
0: Mm, know, the big wind up,
1: yeah, b- building uh, up to the fight. You know, then the yeah, end of yeah. the episode's like in three more episodes, there's going to be a fight, guys.
0: I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. Very frustrating for me as a little child.
1: Um, me too. I feel like maybe I watched it a little bit longer than when I was a little child. Oh, there you go. Watched Th- it on Toonami okay. for a while. Probably into the double digits. Um, I get it. Anyways, away from Dragon Ball Z, back, back toward uh, toward Cape Fear. Th- did you enjoy the private eye? Did you dislike the private eye?
0: Oh, yeah, I think he's well cast. I think, yeah, the, the confidence is, the overconfidence is well played. Um, the, what is it, Pepto-Bismol and whiskey mm-hmm. that he drinks is a nice little touch because we don't get that much color about who he is, but that's a nice little detail. Um, it's a great face-to-face he has with De Niro after he's been following De Niro and they-
1: buy him breakfast. All right,
0: yeah, at, at, at the at the pier, um, and they have that little standoff. I think that's a great scene. Um, I think he's a great actor. Yeah. You?
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I, he sold me. He's, he's kind of like an Altman actor where it's just like, this guy is this guy. Mm. And he's presented by, um, Sorsese as kind of an Altman type of a person who just lives within this world and is a real person. You know, you just don't doubt for a second that this guy is who this guy is. And, you know, he's very charming and that, that drawl and the the patter of the, the syllables as they come out smooth.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, in terms of the the terrorizing that Katie does, I feel like there are these, like, really just two major kind of cracks or pressure points that he's identified that he keeps poking at. There's the fidelity issue or infidelity issue, and then there's the um, relationship between Nolte and, and his daughter, Juliette Lewis, and her kind of entering that rebellious stage, her kind of sexual coming of age that's kind of the father's, nightmare in a way and katie's just accelerating and 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 pushing that button to its to its nth degree Mm -hmm. um how'd that all play for you
1: i mean i mean it poorly poorly really yeah yeah poorly i i think because i i don't think that there's a i i think that the longer you look at this film the more incoherent it becomes Mm. there there's it's not a totally decoherent film, but the longer you look, the more you'll notice decoherence and incoherence amongst it, its actual like tenets of what it's supposed to be about, um, and who we're supposed to think Katie is. Mm. Um, you know, I, I mean, let's start at the end. Do you think Katie was going to kill his family in front of Um, him, or do you think Katie was going to rape and murder his family in front of him?
0: Which one? Uh, I would have probably thought the latter. What about you?
1: Okay. I'm mixed. I I think that he wanted to rape the wife in front of him, but I don't know about the daughter, too. Um, Mm. I I think that he just wanted to use kind of dread to get at him. And there's that scene at the school where he's just talking to her, and Mm -hmm. he has her alone. In this, you know, house that's very um, Goldilocks. Yeah, it, yeah, You know, yeah. invoking. Like, you know, he's the big bad wolf and the three bears and, you know, everything that's evil. Um, and he sticks her thumb, or his thumb in her mouth um, mm-hmm. twice. And then he lets her walk away. He doesn't do anything more than that. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's incoherent for Katie's character. Katie mm-hmm. has her alone. In a mm. public area, and he he could have really hurt her. He could have raped her. He could have beat her. He could have sent her home and put more dread into him, and got him to make a mistake. And he didn't. And I think that that's why that that relationship that Katie has with the daughter doesn't make sense to me. It's unclear. You mm. know, it it just doesn't make coherent sense and and the longer i kind of look at it and i i see what his actions are it it just makes less and less sense um as far as the the fidelity and fidelity i i just don't really care um i think jessica ling is good but i think when they have to talk about this melodrama it's uninteresting um that's when nolte's probably as weak as trying to sell the oh fact, i agree <laughs> this is just a clerk and you know it i i just didn't care outside yeah. of um the rest of the narrative that stuff is very paltry and like i don't care about that family stuff that's clearly the spielberg aspect that's been embellished for infidelity to kind of you know fit this arc i i can't imagine that spielberg would have had the infidelity arc or or played with juliette lewis being nearly as um you know sexual and putting that sexist book under the the flower mm-hmm. pot. you know just all that stuff i i don't think that
0: that yeah, works. I, I I watched Nolte and Lang argue about whatever, whether it's the infidelity or whatever. And all I'm thinking to myself, "Is divorce? You're you're awful together. This is terrible for us too. Just yeah. separate." Uh, so yeah, I'm with you there, that part's no fun. I think I think the Juliet Lewis stuff is fantastic. I, the the scene in the is, school is, is, is
1: the scene fantastic.
0: Oh, I think that's my Absolutely favorite scene in the movie. Absolutely
1: great scene. Does the scene make sense to the overarching? psychology and philosophy of the story in Max Katie.
0: No, I don't think so. Well, I think, uh, to me, it's it's he is smart enough to know that to draw out the torture is the worst thing he can do. That's why he's um, killing the dog first. But he doesn't
1: know anything about it.
0: He, he knows the second she goes home.
1: But he doesn't know what happened.
0: Oh yeah, that's way worse. Isn't that right. way worse for a father to have to not exactly know what transpired between this horrid creature of a man and your fifteen year old daughter? You know, he's clearly building up to the most Maybe. violent thing of all, but the dog, he's uh stalking them on the lawn, he's showing up at the parade, like it's isn't it clearly in a trajectory where he's drawing out this torture?
1: Yeah, I just I I think it should have played a little bit more brutal. I I just, Mm. I don't buy Katie holding back. Mm. I don't buy Katie getting someone alone from the family and holding back because when, when he, I mean, holding back on Nolte, sure, because he wants to make Nolte suffer. But if he got the other two, you know, that's, that's kind of what's inferred in the original. Um, Instead of this school scene, um, she gets out of school in the original And goes to get in the car, which is, you know, she's only allowed to get in the car with her mom when she's not at home. Mm -hmm. This is the thing. So she gets out of school, she goes in the car, her mom's not there. Her mom's somewhere. You don't know where. Mm -hmm. And walking down the road eternally, is Robert Mitchum as Katie. She gets out, you know, and she starts running and he's chasing her. And he chases her eventually into the street. She gets hit by a car. And, you know, you get the sense watching that. Like, if he would have got his hands on her, she was dead. And that that Katie is the Katie that I I just expect. I expect that the Katie that invokes suffering, the Katie that handcuffs a woman and dislocates her shoulder and bites her cheek, and y- you know, like that's I I don't expect him to have killed her absolutely, but like to not invoke suffering, I I don't I don't buy that.
0: Oh, that just seems like intense suffering for. Sam Nolte, to have undergone,
1: yeah, and then it's you know, do you,
0: does he's he, not out to punish Juliet Lewis or Danielle? He's out to punish
1: Sam. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. There, there's those other moments um, where, we're like, we get the backstory though, and it's like he clearly wants to wants to break Nolte and make him equal. So, like, remove the daughter, remove the mm. wife, because that's what happened to him. Um, and so there's there's just. There's that level of incoherence where I don't fully buy any of these things.
0: I can understand that. He is.
1: But the scene itself (laughs) is a brilliant scene. It's a brilliant, brilliant scene.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, for me, like, performance wise, Juliette Lewis in that scene is just like so many miles ahead of anything else in the movie. That is far and away, I think, the best feat of acting. Just that combination of, like, nervousness and excitement and fear all wrapped up into one it just seems like so accurate not that i would know as a as a teenage girl but the idea that there is an allure to this ma- to this menace and and danger while also being so terrified and just embarrassed about it the way she like puts her hand on her face when he says can I put my arm around you or would you mind if Mm -hmm. I put my arm around you so good um I would be curious to know I would be curious to hear a woman's perspective on this scene because obviously I don't know what it's like to be a 15 year old girl but holy smokes do I think that is convincing in its kind of mixture of of it's really the embarrassment that seems so like uh striking but also the excitement of it
1: Yeah, it really helps to have watched the documentary where she goes in depth on that particular scene and talks about how good of a time she had with it and how she had a crush on De Niro. And, you know, just to kind of get all the different things happening and that that scene, she didn't know that he was going to put his thumb in her mouth. Yeah, you know that's pretty bold. And so, you know, and she described it as like electric and like that, you know, she said that the scene ended and she's like, this is. Fun, isn't it, guys? Or something like that. Yeah. It's just like
0: they're all like, "Whoa, what just happened?" <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, it, you know, the fact that she took it that way um, definitely improves my um, ability to like that scene.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, well, we've talked a little bit about kind of like the final act of the movie, but I'm getting the sense that you maybe think most of what takes place on the river is a bit much. That accurate? <sighs>
1: It's interesting, it is a bit much, and it's over jump cut, mm. I think. I think that they rely on that a too much, and also maybe have to in order to make the dunk tank and everything, and the model and everything just kind of sing together. Um, but before we get there, I, I think there's two main scenes. Um, mm. The the first of which, we'll say, is the scene in which he has the private eye hire three thugs two with pipes one with a bicycle chain to beat up katie and he hides behind the dumpsters this is happening like a piece of trash right and and he's watching this happen and they're they're beating katie and they're beating him but he's still standing there and he's not really making any sounds and then they tucker themselves out and he starts beating the shit out of him and then katie walks towards the trash can after nolte knocks over a can like an idiot made me roll my eyes and starts doing this counselor routine that he's been doing mm. this whole movie. And it's so good counselor. Are you there? Could mm. you be there counselor? Um, and it's just, it's, it's such a brilliant moment of trepidation and to show the um, emasculation of this, this man by this man who wants to get this vengeance um, in a very physical way, but it's also making Katie into that force of nature that he continues to be in the film, this thing that can't be brought down by man itself, that has to be drowned and, and bound by steel. And, you know, it just, it's, I think it's a great scene.
0: Yeah, great I movie. mean, I I, I I love the emphasis on Nolte's hiding behind the, the dumpster specifically, because, yeah, I mean, I uh I, I hadn't honed in on his literal uh choice of hiding spot there, but I think that is perfect because part of this movie is about like um them viewing uh katie as this kind of like sociopathic hillbilly almost Mm -hmm. you know this 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 lower class wacko fundamentalist um that you know clearly kind of gives movie this whole thing about you know kind of the fear of otherness and he just seems like so beneath them and just whacked out and dangerous so to reverse that in that situation exactly like you say i think is, is great where he um is very much looking down on uh Nulty, there. That's awesome.
1: I think there's a scene where Katie calls him white trash.
0: Yeah, I was kind of wondering that, but I don't remember if it's in that scene or not. You're right. That I sounds remember, familiar.
1: I, I think he says it later, you know, in person or something, but it's just there's this thing of him being trash and I it's just, you know, it's not that it's true. It's that this Katie's succeeding in making him feel this way. That's mm-hmm. what's so interesting about it. Then the, the other, I think, crucial, you know, critical scene is when he um is it's following this it's the consequences of this where he has to go to like atlanta or something to mm. be uh to be on trial for for whether he should be disbarred and he he does this great elaborate scheme and then him and the private eye roll back to to the house and there's this great shutter sequence where they do these that's where the jump cuts work for me they're just slamming mm-hmm. these All the these locks. shutters closed yeah. and the getting those locks together. Um, And then that eventually turns into the, the fatalities that we already uh, discussed, but that, that kind of build up in the stakeout and um, you know, the, the moment where he's totally out of control and he has to tell his daughter from up on high down low Mm. to go in your room and lock your door. Um, Mm. And, you know, at this point she still kind of has this romantic crush on Katie and hasn't seen the dead body yet. Um, It's I, I think that's just a, a great entire moment, not just the kill sequence, but that whole brooding.
0: Yeah, I think that's another good one that uh, kind of like extended sequence that just hammers home that idea of Katie being everywhere. Because at first he's following him in in his car from, from behind and he's watching him. And then he is seated at a table at the airport watching as he walks up to the gate. It's mm-hmm. like, how the heck did he get there and... It's so much time to have enough time to find a seat to watch this unfold. It's it's all sort of, you know, hyper real. Yeah. Like you just have to, to kind of go with those, those inner mitten uh, parts cut out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that all works. Yeah.
1: Um, and then just an aside in the near the very beginning of the film, when he's smoking that cigar in the theater, there's that moment that is. Uh, is that it's a riff on The Shining, but I don't think it's from the film that The Shining's referencing, mm. where this guy's looking through this this axed open door, and he says something like, Daddy's uh-huh. home. Mm-hmm. And then he, he walks in, and he's looking for, a, you know, apparently his wife and his kid. And I think mm-hmm. that just kind of sets up everything with with this smoking cigar-smoking maniac in front of them, um, y- you know it it really just sets the whole tone of the film of, you know, a new dad's in town looking looking for his his lost family.
0: Yeah, I I love that scene because like on one hand it's the first instance of Katie annoying nulty. And Lang like, mm-hmm. but he also just seems to be like genuinely enjoying the movie. Yeah. It just seems like true genuine laughs. Like you might almost wonder to yourself, like, he might actually have not really planned this as Torque. He might just be really into this movie right now.
1: Maybe. And and then, you know, if you if it's on a rewatch you're like, Oh, we know what's up. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um yeah, that movie is a uh, Problem Child, which uh the movie I watched many times as, as a kid. Okay, um, I'm
1: familiar with it. Totally unfamiliar. Yeah,
0: there. I think there were a couple of them about just a kid who drove his dad crazy. Um, thematically, I don't think it has any reason there except for the that image, right, of he, he looks crazy and the door is broken. It works visually. Yeah, and then, then he was, walks yeah. around
1: it and he says, Daddy's home and he's looking for the family.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which
1: is very Katie.
0: Yeah, um... There's there's another shot in the movie of a of a TV and it's a Douglas Sirk movie playing. Mm-hmm. Um I, I think that's just of course he's just put a Sirk Sorsese's movie on. Why Cynophilia, not? Yeah. Just because. I bet
1: you there's a real reason. I bet you after watching as much source talk about film as I just did that he had a specific reason about why that Sirk movie and why that scene.
0: I know I was really like scratching my head. It's just a quick shot and like all that heaven allows is like the the housewife feels trapped in domesticity. Is it is it feeling trapped? I'm like I'm stretching I'm stretching here and I don't even know what I'm listening to anymore. So I had to let that go. Says he's
1: gonna call us and be like, "You're on the right track, but you didn't finish. You gotta yeah. go more down. Yeah. The more crazy you think you are, the more right you are, Michael.
0: <laughs> exactly. Um, the Graciela impersonation, two on the nose in its homage to Psycho or no? no i like it. it
1: totally (laughs) totally took me by surprise that first time um just because you kind of you get the sense that like everything isn't right as he's pouring that pepto-bismol in after the whiskey Mm. but you're not quite sure and then that piano wire pays off Mm
0: -hmm. totally and it's
1: just no no that's great that's (laughs) great and i think man de niro's character acting here is just fully on display he's such an interesting performer because no one ever says you know what actor i love robert de niro no one says that but the more that i've gone down the kind of you know oeuvre of all of his different performances that he's turned out he's this very interesting committed type of character actor that in certain roles really goes crazy raging bull he's amazing I think this film, he's amazing. Irishman, he's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he he really plays comedy really well. He did that Anne Hathaway one, The Intern. He's just, he's really got, got chops that we never talk about. And it's kind of like, you know, Christian Bale gets all this attention, but he's kind of doing what De Niro kind of paved the way for, which is these crazy um, characters where you lose or gain a bunch of weight and put on all this
0: makeup. King of Comedy. Love that mm-hmm. one. That one's a little more funny in its own way. Also a little anxiety provoking, but very funny performance often.
1: I, I didn't really care for mm. for it, but mm. I mean, yeah, it's a great performance that he gives.
0: Yeah. Uh any other thoughts?
1: I think we're we back up? to the finale.
0: Back to the finale. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um essentially he's stopped them to the houseboat, which is where they're hiding in Cape Fear itself. And um he chokes out Nolte and then cuts the rope. And that's when they know something bad's happening. Um, And then we get into the psychosexual payoff where he, um, you know, I think he locks Juliette Lewis in, in in the hold. And then he ostensibly begins to rape Lang and then changes his mind and handcuffs Mm -hmm. her and gets Lewis out and drags Nolte in. It's, you know, it's a very um, in the moment. It's you know, you're totally obsessed with it. But on retrospect, you're like, what exactly was he doing? You know, he's a little messy and an, he's and, this and, meticulous force of nature who's a crazy, you know, um, unstoppable force. And all of a sudden, he's being stopped by the fact that she's just reaching for his gun. Like mm. that makes no sense. Like the whole thing turns as soon as she reaches for his, the small of his back to get that gun. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I, I, I mean, I'm totally taken by it when I watch it. Um, I just dislike the jump cuts, but it doesn't quite make complete sense um, in that build-up. How about you?
0: Yeah, I'm not crazy about the final act of this movie. To me, like it it, it honestly verges kind of close to camp for me relative to yep. the scale on which the rest of the movie operates. You compare the ending to the tension just between Juliette Lewis and Robert De Niro and their one seen in the theater it's just like a totally different scale that the movie is on for this final giant kind of set piece that me is just like a little it's just it's just a bit much um and i kind of appreciate like the willingness to really like go in a different direction like it feels like kind of a a bold uh pivot to go into what feels like this chaotic kind of action-adventure finale, but I think it's just too much. It just loses me at a certain point, Um, especially once his face is scalded scalded with the hot hot water, I guess, or something like that. I think they were Um, making
1: pasta, probably, as just a hot pot on the stove of water.
0: Yeah, as the um, little mock trial kind of begins, and Nolte's on his knees, and... Robert De Niro is looking at him, then looking at the camera. You hear the little, like, swishes of his mm-hmm. head. Um, and I'm like, this is almost approaching, like, self-parody at that point. Um, I, I That does not work terribly well for me, unfortunately.
1: I do like it because it's leaning into this B-genre piece that it didn't completely commit to beforehand, though. Mm-hmm. Which is why it feels like the finale is a different cinematic grammar than the previous part of the film totally and that's that's kind of where the that's an example of where the incoherence and the, the decoherence is really magnified for me where it's like these things don't fit properly sneaking in and out of the house constantly being talked about in dialogue but then being shirked by the actual proper story mm-hmm. um, another level of decoherence the the logo and then talking about the logo on the houseboat without any stitch in between decoherence. They're just, there's a bunch of these little things that kind of add up to, to bother me. And by the end, when it's leaning into that camp, it's, it's, I kind of had the thought where like, where was this movie the whole time? You know, like give me this outrageous because Katie, you know, when he's underneath the car and, you know, holding on the whole time. That kind of feeds into this guy who's been scalded and didn't react. You Mm. you know, that line, trying to offer me something hot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, like I I just I like that, but it it's trying to balance these two different films at the same time.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, in that moment it's returning to the core, like, theme of the movie or like one the kind of like catalyzing dilemma like he's he's yelling you were my lawyer he's saying you were awful it's it's returning to this idea that this was supposedly this dilemma it, i think the movie thinks this is a more interesting moral dilemma than it really is because i'm so distracted by just kind of like the chaos of this moment mm-hmm. to really think about gosh what a predicament this was who's right here i'm not thinking about that at all i'm just thinking about the, face of the fact that robert de niro is looks like a creature from the Black Lagoon at this point. It, yep. it's the kind of a form content issue there. Mm-hmm.
1: It yeah, I I think De Palma would have made it more campy the entire time and probably had this commitment to Viscera um longer and less corn syrup that they slip in um when the private detective gets killed. I I like it in general. Still I, I might even give it a heart. I really like De Niro's performance. Um I, I think that Just before we wrap up, I do want to say, um, as they mention in the documentary, the introduction credits to this film are Mm. exquisite, wonderfully done. Um, There's also a particular thing where they showed that um, reflection of the Cape Fear sign correctly oriented for us to read. I I like the backstory for that. I think that's great. Um, Do you have anything else you want to add before you give me your favorite scene?
0: I don't think so. Yeah, I agree. Opening credit sequence is great. Um, They Talking that doc about it being by Saul Bass, the one and only graphic designer I could name for you. Mm-hmm. I, I I think that's the yeah Him the and his only wife. name I know. Yeah, very cool opening scene. Uh, yeah, how about uh, your favorite scene?
1: I asked you first.
0: It is definitely Juliette Lewis and uh, Robert De Niro scene in the theater. I um, think the, yeah that that's that's the the height of the performances for me is Juliette Lewis there. Um, definitely. I, yeah, no question. What about you? It's tough.
1: There's a bunch of favorite moments, but I I don't think there's a scene that beats that scene. I don't think there's a scene that beats it by a long shot. There's two moments I'll mention, which are the jump cuts, the shutters being slammed closed, as well as the locks being turned with the keys, um, and the deadbolt being turned. And then there's also the moment where De Niro is delivering a monologue to a trash can. Could you be there, counselor? Mm. Would you be mm. there, counselor? It's just so delicious um, that you know. I, I think that anybody that wants to be an actor just try to impersonate that, just because it's so fun and mm. and you know particularly oriented in the the southern drawl that it has. Um, but yeah, I think that we both recommend this movie, but um, it's maybe um, not close to our favorite source. As
0: I think that's fair.
1: That was Cape Fear.
0: And that's another one in the can. Now you don't.